0: The views and comments expressed on the space show by its guests, callers, and listeners belong to them. The space show and its hosts serve only as a platform and are not responsible for others' comments or views. All topics discussed on the space show are primarily for educational purposes.
1: Now,
0: start by It's the Space Show with Dr. David Livingston, broadcasting seven continents, consistently bringing you new, quality news and interviews with the best and brightest minds in the new space economy. Here is the founder and host of the Space Show, the man who best articulates the vision of space commercial enterprise, Dr. David Livingston.
1: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Tuesday night space show in a wet, rainy desert evening in Las Vegas. I'm happy to be here live and alive. I guess I can do it both ways there. Uh, and welcome you uh, to our Tuesday evening space show program. Uh, our guest, who I will formally introduce in just a minute, is Dr. Kothari, who many of you know. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about his Cosmos Club in Washington, D.C., Dorian presentation. So first of all, the presentation is on our blog, and he is going to refer to several of the slides. So um, if you – well, of course, you're sitting there with your computer because the show is on the Internet. But um, open it up. It's on the blog, and you can follow along with us, and I I think that will be very, very helpful. Our toll-free line tonight is 866-687-7223. This is a full-length space show program, but continue to uh, watch your clock. Make sure if you want to call and talk to AJ or offer us a comment or something, you do it while we're still broadcasting. Email Dr. Space, D-R-S-P-A-C-E at thespaceshow.com. Don't forget our detailed newsletter, which is very short, goes out Monday morning, 6 a.m. West Coast Time by email. If you would like to receive a copy of it, please make sure I have your email address. So you can send it to Dr. Space at thespaceshow.com. Everything we do is archived, and you can listen right off of our website. You can download the shows. You can listen off of the podcast server, or you can listen live like we're doing right now. We do have a space show localware store. You go to the website, click on the Siberian Husky Pepper listening to The Space Show, and you enter our wear store. And your suggestions are as important as your purchases, because we'd always like to improve it, add new products. So if you go there, check it out. Let us know what, uh, what you suggest. Uh, don't forget, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. And um, that means that uh, if you donate to The Space Show, and you're paying U.S. federal taxes, you get a deduction for your donation. The best way to donate to us is PayPal. There is a PayPal button in the upper right of our homepage, thespaceshow.com. If you want to use Zell, you have to have an American bank to be doing it. You use the special email address that goes to our One Giant Leap Foundation, Chase Bank Account, David at 1. 1- Giant leap foundation.org. Don't do it to the Space Show email address. It won't be received if you do that. So it's David at OneGiantLeapFoundation.org If you want to mail a check to us, uh, you use one giant leap Foundation and you mail it to our Las Vegas address, which is on our PayPal button. Uh, as we are listener-supported, Uh, We do depend on you, the listeners, and everyone else to support us, and we thank you very, very much for that support. Our guest tonight is a multi-year sponsor for The Space Show, and you too can be a sponsor of The Space Show, getting banner ads and uh, getting PR messages, uh, which uh, I will quickly shout out to right now because our sponsors are vital to our show, Northrop Grumman, AIAA, Helix Space out of Luxembourg, the National Space Society, Celestus, Astrox Corporation, which is A.J.'s corporation, our guest tonight, Dr. Ben Roya, who uh, has two books about lunar development uh, and is uh, sort of a billboard advertiser, the Space Foundation, and uh, our friend John Jossie with his Space Settlement Progress. Terrific blog. So if you want to sponsor us, uh, please email me, Dr. Space, at thespaceshow.com, and uh, we'll be happy to talk to you about it and tell you about our program. As I told you, Dr. Kathari is back with us tonight. Many of you know him. You don't really need uh, his, uh, his introduction. If you were at ISDC in June, or I guess May last year, you got an opportunity to hear him and meet him. He's president and founder of Astrox Corporation, which is an aerospace R&D company in suburban Washington, D.C. He has a Ph.D. and M.S. in aerospace engineering from the University of Maryland. And he's been a P.I. or program manager on more than 30 contracts from the Air Force, Navy, DARPA, and NASA, focusing on on rockets and hypersonic vehicle designs and much more. His full bio is on the Space Show website. I urge you to become familiar with it and to become familiar with A.J., as I'm sure we will be hearing from him for years to come, as he (laughs) he is on to something that he has talked about on the Space Show. But in the time, A.J., you were last on the show talking about thorium, one of the things I'm going to bring up is I've seen China planning thorium ships including naval ships. I've seen other countries starting to plan and design thorium reactors. There is interest in this, but there doesn't seem to be interest in uh, the United States. That's one of the things I want to talk to you about. And, uh, again, your Cosmos presentation is on the website. Why don't you start out and tell us what the Cosmos Club is and and why uh, that's a big deal to present there.
2: People are not familiar with it. Oh, Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Um, um, It's wonderful talking with you again, David, and wonderful to be on your show. And I really, really uh, have said this before many times, but I will say it again, that, uh, you know, the service that you do, um, you know, so diligently and so regularly is just absolutely amazing for the space community. And that's why I'm so proud and happy to be to be sponsoring you for you know some several years now I guess. But uh, anyway, that doesn't doesn't matter. But I'm very proud to have been doing that, and I hope to continue to do that. Uh, So, David, uh, thank you for
1: for uh, for doing
2: what you do, and thank you for this
1: opportunity. (laughs) And it's it's been great working with you, and you really Really contribute great programming. You're you're a terrific guest, and. Your, your information about thorium, you've instructed me on it, Um and, uh, I, I don't understand why we're not doing a lot of things, and, and I also yeah. don't understand why we are doing some things, even things outside the space industry, that make absolutely zero sense and cost billions of dollars. Right. But that's yeah. not the subject of tonight's show. What, tell us, start out, what's the Cosmos Club?
0: Okay, that's
2: right. Yeah, so, uh, so, uh, the, in Washington D.C., we have something called a Cosmos Club. Uh, that really started in 1877. Now, it's, it's, it's members, uh, at least in the beginning and even, even now are, you know, Nobel laureates, uh, who reside. Well, actually, most of the, you know, people who reside in Washington D.C., um, you know, um, are, are members, not most of the people, I mean, uh, many of the members reside in Washington D.C. Yeah, way around. Uh, but uh, there are people who don't reside here in DC, which I learned recently that uh, also are members. And so anyway, that's so it's a it's a club, uh, sort of an intellectual club, I would say, as opposed to you know some other kind of art related or some other uh, um, um, you know um, um, funding related or something like that clubs. So it's a very very um high caliber um club high caliber people and and in there there is uh, a philosophical society of washington PSW uh, the science part of philosophical society of washington that actually started in 1871 a few years before cosmos club and it's been going you know nonstop since that time so this is a philosophy this is a society a philosophical society of Washington science um that does lectures almost every two weeks at the Cosmos Club in combination in in partnership with uh, you know their um, there and uh, their, it's wonderful I mean you know they have, you have you can have a reception uh wine reception ahead of uh, the the uh, the talk and then Dinner, um, you have to pay for that, of course. But dinner, and, and, uh, and then you get to meet all these very interesting scientist type of people. And that's, this is science in general. It could be biology, it could be agriculture even. Of course, most of them are physicists and engineers, and they have lots of talks about aerospace. And if you, you can go to the website pswscience.org, I think it is. Or just you know Google PSW Science and you will find the website and you can see uh, and they tape all these talks um, you know and they're available on YouTube you know from long time ago uh, twenty years ago and they started doing that it really is quite quite amazing um, some of the people that they have had is uh, have been uh, the program manager of Draco program at DARPA and NASA. Which is a nuclear propulsion, uh, program, uh, Dr. Dotson, who was, uh, who spoke last year. And then in December, Dr. Katherine Huff, who is the head of the nuclear en- en- energy section of Department of Energy. Uh, she's actually a S- Assistant Secretary at Department of Energy. She spoke also last, uh, uh, month, actually in December. So, you know, some very, very interesting people. Come and have you know spoken and you can ask questions, and uh, even people on the web can also ask questions, so it really is a wonderful way for this uh, political <laughs> political city to have this is just absolutely amazing and it's, it's also uh, forget everything else, but it's a very beautiful club too of Cosmos Club in downtown d c So um,
1: how did you get how how did you get invited there to to talk about thorium?
2: Well, you know, I'm 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 a member of the Philosophical Society of Washington Science and and the president of that uh, invited me to give this talk along with two other scientists. So it was uh, um, three of us who gave the talk at that time on different subjects, completely completely different subjects, Um, and um, it was just. It was fantastic. Very good, you know.
1: How was um, how was the thorium part of the of the talks received? Did you get questions? Did I, got, I got,
2: yeah, I got many questions. And actually, uh, if you were to go and uh, look at that PSW Science um, website and then uh, uh, find my talk there on YouTube, um, you will, you know, it was, my talk was half an hour and then another almost forty-five minutes worth of questions. Wow. and i got i got a lot of them so <laughs> and so sent very well received very well received and people you know are still wondering why we are not doing it you know it's like what i what you just mentioned in the beginning
1: i think you sent me the youtube talk i should have put it up on the blog but i'll do it uh-huh. as you're, as you're talking i'll i'll find it and put the youtube Sh- sure on yeah, the blog.
2: yeah 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 so, sure so
1: um, uh-huh. why are we why are, why is the united states we have thorium deposits in, in within our borders. Why yeah. are we not talking about this as an energy option or possibility for us? You know, our- it's
2: it's absolutely um, stupendously amazing to me because uh, this thing offers so many pluses, an amazing number of pluses. And as you know, the nuclear energy is is playing more and more important role for net zero. Worldwide now, you know, in, right. in Europe, in the United States, and in Japan, Korea, you know, in many places. Uh, China, of course. And so, um, but this particular uh, idea of thorium molten salt reactor sort of gets rid of some of the problems that we have had with the generation 2 and 3. The reactors that we have today, 70% of them are Generation 2, 3, and 3-plus three type of reactors, which are mostly pressurized water reactors and and, uh, um, and all that. And so when, when you pressurize, you have to pressurize the water because you want uh, – the water is used as a moderator and a coolant in this uh, Generation 2, 3, 3-plus three reactors, most. About 70% of them, 60 to 70% of them. Mm. And then, uh, and and the the neutrons are in thermal thermal spectrum. And so when that um, happens, obviously the temperature goes up and temperature, when it goes up above 100 degrees, it will start to boil and create steam. And we don't want that to happen in the core of the reactor and so they have to Pressurize it to very high pressure, like 150 to 250 atmosphere pressure, which becomes, which is sort of dangerous, no? Because that is what created a problem at Chernobyl, that's what created a problem at uh, Three Mile Island, and also uh, Fukushima, in a sense, it created that problem. um, I mean, the problem there started because of the tsunami, but still, this thing uh, created. So the question is, uh, is there anything that we have that doesn't require such high pressure? And if it doesn't require high pressure then it cannot blow up. And so that is what this uh, particular thorium molten salt reactor is actually, which runs at sea level pressure. So it cannot blow up. It cannot it cannot melt down, so to speak, because it run, runs at already very high temperature. And then there is some other stuff that that's in there, negative uh, expansion coefficient, etc. That um, the reaction will stop automatically if if the heat becomes, you know, larger than what we can withstand, what we would like to withstand. And then there is also a valve at the bottom that will melt, and everything is just. The core, the 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 molten salt reactor with reactants. I mean, you know, uranium two thirty three in it would fall down underground uh, in in container bags. You know, and so it is very safe that way. Very safe this way, and also uh, the waste products from this. I mean, you know, you start with the th- with thorium in this case. That you of course start with thorium, which is uh, atomic weight is 232 And you uh, you inject uh, um, You know uh, Attack that with a neutron It becomes thorium-233 And that decays in 22 minutes To protectinium Which then decays in Over 27 days Half-life Half-life is 27 days That means it doesn't decay all of it But half-life is 27 days Or in the other case 22 minutes half-life And so <clears throat> Then the uranium-233 is the one that, that is fissile. And so that breaks up when you attack it, I mean, you know, insert one more neutron in it, it becomes um, strontium and xenon. I mean, it divides into strontium and xenon. But the thing is that almost the entire uranium-232 um, that you put into this thing is used up, almost all of it. So there is no, no, not uh, much waste products unless you know you're not 99% efficient or 95% efficient. But almost no waste products. So, you know, it's just absolutely amazing to me that with so many pluses that this thing has, why are we not doing, why are we not going actually gung ho on this? This can now, um, I mean, the United States itself has 600,000 ton of thorium within our boundary. That thorium, and, and by the way, one ton of thorium is equivalent to 5 million barrels of oil. It's absolutely amazing the amount of power density, that energy density that it has. And so... The, with the 600,000 ton of thorium that we have, we, we will become completely energy independent in this country, completely. Um, we can provide electric, electricity for this country, uh, just for this country, um, for 600 years. Do it's we... absolutely amazing, amazing. I, you know, there's just no words to describe this. What's, uh, um, it's what's... about how... How uh, useful um, this thorium molten salt reactor idea is.
1: How, how technically ready are we to build an operating plant that can actually supply power to the grid? Not not a demo plant, but a, a real operational plant.
2: Well, I think we are still far. Actually, a demo demo plant was built in late sixties. Of all the time, you know, late sixties. Alvin Weinberg at the ORNL, uh, Oak Ridge Research National Research Lab, um, did this um, experimental work. Called, called, it was called MSRE, a molten salt reactor experiment. He did that, and he ran it for five, four years there, more or less continuously. It was shut down in the middle and a little bit, and then started again, etc. those kinds of things. But he ran in about an eight megawatt type of a plant there for four years. Amazing. So it is not like it cannot be done. It can be done, and of course, you know, we have more, um, we have the benefit of more development that have taken place in last, you know, 20 years or so, sorry, 20, 30, 40 years or so in terms of uh, uh, CMCs and in terms of uh, um, you know, um, uh, uh, C-SIC, uh, carbon, silicon carbide, and all those new um, CMCs that have come, uh, Zircon OC, all those things that have come, have come uh, available, become available now, which were not available in the late 60s. So they did something with, uh, with an alloy, S-alloy N, and that Maximum temperature there was like 600 or 700 degrees tempera- uh, centigrade only. Now we can even reach higher. And higher the temperature that you can reach, you can, you know, just look at the the cycle and, and see that uh, converting higher temperature uh, molten salt um, uh, and then, you know, uh, passing the heat on to water to run a turbine. Or CO2 or closed tube, closed, closed loop, either way, Um can be, can be done and that can be, uh, that can have efficiency of conversion of almost 50 to 60 percent as opposed to what we have now, which is like 35% for these PWRs that we have, which is at 250 degrees centigrade. So at 1000 degrees centigrade or 1100 degrees centigrade, or so, we can reach even higher conversion efficiency. So this would be an ideal thing to use on the moon also, because we have um, thorium, actually, actually, another thing is that we do have thorium on the moon, so once, you know, once you start getting it going on the moon, then it will be able to sustain itself, and it can provide a lot of energy. One kilogram of thorium, can provide, um, can have a two megawatt, two megawatt plant working there for one year, you know. One kilogram of thorium. Can have one, one, uh, two megawatt, 2.6 megawatt actually, you know, let's say two megawatt. Uh, and, and right now, you know, NASA is looking for energy of the order of 40 kilowatt. Now, we are talking, I'm talking about, you know, you can supply two, megawatt of energy with one kilogram of thorium if we can get but first we have to get it going well here on on earth terrestrial terrestrially and the terrestrially this is the answer the answer for our net zero for no CO2 for no pollution um, and um, um, almost no waste products you know, it's it's like, what more do you want? You
1: know? Why why is a power company or or somebody not championing this and and saying they're going to do it? Or we have lots of entrepreneurial fusion companies that are raising money for fusion. Why is there no entrepreneurial thorium?
2: Uh? Well, I think that things are changing a little bit. Um, there is a company called Flybe Energy uh, of Kirk Sorensen which is doing a very great, very good job. Um, in Alabama, then there is a company called Torcon in the United States, and also in, in uh, I think it's in Netherlands, uh, and then there is a Denmark company, company in Denmark uh, called Copenhagen Copenhagen Atomics, which is doing some fantastic work. Actually, they what they are doing, what they are going to do is to produce uh, SMRs. So you know, people mix up between. Uh, MSR and SMRs, you know. MSR is molten salt reactor, and SMR is small modular reactor. So you can make SMRs, I mean, MSR into SMRs also. And <laughs> and uh, the uh, Copenhagen Atomics has uh, come up with design where they think that they can produce one... Um, SMR small modular reactor using msr thorium msr uh, um, one a day now i don't you know if i if i don't believe one a day number and let's say that it is uh, it's a, these are all 100 100 megawatt um, smrs and they're you know they'll be lined up together in parallel to provide you know 1 gigawatt of power or 2 gigawatt of power whatever something like that and you know electricity so that's happening in Denmark Copenhagen of course Copenhagen is in Denmark they are doing it there uh, in Netherlands like i mentioned um, you know that's that's happening and people now are uh, there are a few companies here also getting into it, it was bill uh, bill gates is doing something but they are not doing molten salt reactor uh, fission molten salt reactor. They are doing um, natrium, what is called natrium, which is not exactly the same. My my point and my real interest and excitement is about this thorium, which is dissolved in molten salt, and that molten salt is can be made up of what is called fluoride, which is fluoride lithium beryllium compound, um, and then. The, the the beauty of that compound is also that it, it melts only at f- about 450 degrees centigrade. Before that, you know, the whole thing is solid rock. And so, well, you know, uh, solid. So when you melt it and then you dissolve this thorium into it, um, then uh, the, that process can begin. And there are, you know, a couple of different ideas about how that process begins a double fluid reactor, two fluid reactor, single fluid reactor, etc. A uh, two fluid reactor uh, that Fly Energy is um, proposing is probably the right one, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I think Copenhagen Atomics is also doing the same thing, actually. Um, so this really is very much, very close to. Very close to being done, and I think that the Department of Energy has started to um, to uh, um, you know um, uh, to to fund um, something in in their gain program, some of these new advanced reactor ideas and designs in collaboration with um, Idaho National Lab, INL, and so. It, it, it is happening, it is very close to being, uh, it's happening, but there are a couple of things that we need to figure out and quantify, and one of them is um, that the, because of the very high temperature, whether it's 800 degrees or 1,000 or 1,200 degrees, whatever it is that you can get up to, uh, that the pipes and uh, containment uh, don't corrode. Because of the high temperature, and so that needs to be quantified. Now, obviously, it did not corrode. In case of, um, uh, did not corrode that much, at least. In case of Alvin Weinberg's uh, MSRE, uh, the experiment, molten salt reactor experiment. So I have, I have a very strong feeling that we'll be able to, you know, um, lick that uh, problem. And if we do, we've got it made.
1: Um, Do you see any money flowing into the thorium R&D? Is it noticeable, at least from your perspective?
2: Not really noticeable, I would say. Um, But um, uh, the, um, the money has to first, I think the money has to come from from DOE or DOD or something like that before investors would be willing to jump in with two feet, you know, with both feet. So that's kind of the, the thing that is stopping it right now. Not stopping it, but, you know, slowing it down a little bit. But it's going to happen, in my guesses within a few years um, in a big way because, I mean, it's just the promise of this thing is just absolutely amazing. And a lot of people don't even know that In- investors like Silicon Valley investors and others don't know about it, you know, um, yet, you know. And but so
1: they probably, but they, will. they probably don't see a return on investment yet, I would imagine.
2: Well, no, return on investment will be huge. I mean, can you imagine that if we can just simply oh, the other problem is going to be that this will dislodge the current, um PWRs and current, uh, you know, PWRs, meaning the, the, the you know, whatever reactors we al- we already have and which are being built elsewhere and everywhere, it will dislodge that. So, there's gonna be a lot of, uh, resistance to, uh, resistance because of that. But, you know, physics is gonna win out. <laughs> Some type or the other. It has to, you know. Um. It always does.
1: You have a question from uh, Todd in San Diego. And sure. he says, can thorium be used for rocket propulsion?
2: Um, I've been looking into that, and actually, if you were to go, if you have the slides open, if you were to go to slide number 18. Okay. You will see that. Do you see that?
1: I'm on slide 10. Hold on. I'm, I'm getting yeah. there. Listeners, if you are opening the slide. All right, I'm on 18. Space propulsion and power.
2: Space propulsion and power, oh, right. right. Yeah. So here, uh, what I have done here is that uh, <coughs> excuse me, I took the new lens design. Upper stage design, basically, and and I designed that in my uh, our proprietary court called Space Site that we have here at at Astox Corporation. So I designed that stage in there uh, that you can see in the left-hand side picture on the top top right. That is the New Glenn upper stage, basically.
1: Okay.
2: So in here, you can see that we have a, a green. Uh, tank which is the LOX tank and then we have the other tank which is the hydrogen tank in this case. Obviously uh, they are using CH3 uh, I'm sorry uh, BE3 as the engine which is the hydrogen, hydrolox engine which is what New Glenn is going to use for the upper stage. For the lower stage for the first stage of course they are going to use methalox, uh CH4 and LOX and that's uh, BE4, that's the, uh, you know, more recent development. But for, for the upper stage, which is designed here and shown here, what we would, what I would suggest we do is to keep the hydrogen tank, but remove the LOX tank and put, <coughs> put the, um, thorium reactor, um, well, actually, by the time you, um, put this thing is that it's a uranium-233, uh, reactor, so uranium 233 reactor is is would go into that green area and the, the um um uh, isp that you will get with this if it can go up to 1200 degrees centigrade is approximately 667 seconds so it's not quite as good as uh, what we had um you know um Long time ago, a long time ago, for Narva, which went to about 2500, 2600 degrees F, Fahrenheit, and so this is this will be less than that. This is like 1200 degrees centigrade, which is about 1500 degrees K, which is 25 uh, approximately whatever 2600 R or 2000 F so it is less because of that the isp will be less than that one which was which was like uh, Nerva got isp of the order of 850 860 even 870 up to up to up to that approximately that number now we are going to get less isp but the prop that the thing is here here is that because this one is um, does not require high pressure and all that it will be lighter in weight easier to carry and so it <clears throat> will have that system level advantage so yes you can use it but i'm not sure if it is the best um best uh um, propulsion space propulsion uh idea my idea here is as you can see on the left uh that you use this in something that goes to the moon as a second stage of course and then you can repurpose that TMSR, which is on the right-hand side of the of the picture, repurpose that as an energy producer and a heat producer, either. I mean, you know, electricity producer or a heat producer, and there are two ideas given here. On the left is the electricity producer and the right is a heat producer to heat, cell regolith or ice or whatever it is that you want to do. So. <clears throat> that is an advantage here that you can do that easily and then of course combine that with the fact that thorium is available on the moon this can become a long term sustainable uh, solution uh, idea for you know settlements on the moon living you know living on the moon and I'm not talking about living there permanently or anything like that my, my point has always been that you go and live there for uh, you know, a few hundred people go and live there for a few months, and then come back, and then some others will go and take over, and you know, and like, like that, and other people also. Of course, they get <laughs> get the benefit of that, but also don't suffer too much from low gravity and all that um, uh, um, possible uh, possible scenarios that we don't know enough about at this point in time. So, all in all, combining everything together. Um, yes, it is possible to uh, do space propulsion with that, but it's not probably as efficient. However, when you combine the fact that you can repurpose this easily for energy on the moon, it certainly becomes more attractive and if you have to take a real hit, some hit, in terms of ISP. Um, I hope that that answers the question.
1: Uh, you, have the, uh, you have another email from Bill. Uh, first of all, uh, listeners, our telephone line is opening, opened, and we'd love to hear from you. It is area code 866-687-7223, and then you can continue with email, at drspaceatthespaceshow.com. Bill in Denver says, where on earth are thorium deposits? Are they in China, are they, or are they in easy access countries?
2: Uh, Let's see, go to slide number six. Slide number six has all the availability. Where is is thorium available? Thorium is available more or less in almost all the countries, you know, in different amounts.
1: But where in in the U.S. would it be?
2: Oh, so thorium is located... Uh, In monazite mines, actually, it comes out along with monazite mines, and monazite mines are in many places, uh, especially, I think, Midwest, and other places also, which I do not know much, you know, exactly about. But uh, there is 600,000, 595,000 estimated ton of thorium located in USA, and most of it coming out of the monazite mines, you know, and uh, in this picture itself, you can see here yeah, what it looks like and, um, and uh, um, well, whatever. You can see that. So it,
1: India has the most. Are they doing anything with thorium?
2: They are doing, but they are not doing molten salt reactor either. I think they are not doing it correctly. You know I mean, they are being a bit so, a bit stupid about this. But China is. China has actually a lot more than what is listed here. 100,000, China has a lot more than that. And China is actually, uh, has given permission to have an operational, uh, they did the experiment with uh, podium molten salt reactors, and apparently it was successful because they've given permission for them to (coughs) go operational about three, four months ago. They did that, and about a month ago, Um, If you can go to now slide number uh, 19, you can see that China is proposing actually to build an ultra-large nuclear vessel designed to achieve zero emissions, says Beijing. And China unveils plans for largest ever container ship Powered by thorium molten salt reactor. So China is already getting on this bandwagon. Why we are not doing it is just totally beyond me at this point in time.
1: You have a caller on the line, and maybe the caller can tell us why we're not doing it. Uh, Hi, caller. Who are you? Where are you? Thank you for your call tonight.
0: Uh, this is Marshall. Uh, I think the answer is bureaucrats. And, uh, my question is, uh, Starship is supposed to be able to put a hundred metric tons into space. Uh, how, uh, powerful, how many megawatt, uh, thorium reactor could be launched into low Earth, earth orbit, uh, with that kind of launch capacity? Oh. Hmm.
2: You know I uh I have a very very rough number here which is you can see in let's see what is the slide number here in 1615 slide 15 and you can see that this is a 26 megawatt thermal thorium reactor size and the weight of that is, I cannot see it too well, the number here. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's less than 10,000, it's about four or 5,000 kilograms. So, you know, 4 tons, 5 tons, something like that for a 26 megawatt. One gigawatt would be, you know, obviously uh, 40 times bigger than that. So 40 times
0: mm-hmm.
2: um Let's say 5,000 would be, um, you know, still 40, 40, 40 times 5 ton each would be, mm-hmm. you know, um, 200 ton, something like that. 160 ton,
0: 40, 40, yeah. 40 times 5. Well, I, I was thinking that uh, uh to do the first... A uh, long reactor on the moon, you know, you have to get it to low Earth orbit, and then they refuel Starship and uh, deliver it to the moon. And it's kind of like, okay, how well, much you know, power? That would be one gigawatt
2: size at all. You know, that would be maybe, you know, maybe about this size that I have here, which is 26 megawatt or something like that, at the most, at the most. Right now, mm-hmm. you know, NASA is looking at 40 kilowatt. And this itself is like 1,000 times bigger than that, almost 800 times bigger than that.
0: Uh, so, that's kind of what I was thinking. And then the next part of the question is, um, with the uh, Raptor 3 or maybe even the Raptor 4 engine, Starship might be able to put up 200 tons. And uh, the question is, is that a linear, you know, you increase the size, uh, the size of yeah. what you can put in space. Do you... You know, double the tonnage, do you actually get double the wattage
2: out? Uh I would say almost, almost truly really true, because what what matters is uh, the amount of to get the power out. Obviously, how much how much is being burned per second, and so you need uh, uh, to increase the um, the supply of. Uh, uh, whatever is coming in accordingly, and the volume it goes the mo- most of the weight is going to be from the molten salt and and the containment um, the steel probably most likely steel containment, as you can see from the numbers here, so most of the weight is going to come from that, and that is mostly volume related volume based and so yes, I think that most of it, most of it will become is um, as, as you increase the volume, the mass will increase accordingly.
0: Mm-hmm. That, that's very interesting, because that basically says uh, uh, if Elon Musk gets a big incentive to go larger than uh, the current Starship, uh, there's a big plus in uh, moving uh, moving space adventures forward. So, yeah, right. Yeah, but you know, even today.
2: Uh, we don't. If any you don't have to go to one gigawatt size, which we just calculated, mm-hmm. but even if you go to 100 megawatt size instead of 26 megawatt here, 100 megawatt be five four times as big, and that's just yep. 20 tons, you know, and that 20 ton is mm-hmm. absolutely no problem for Elon Musk yep. to put on the moon, you know.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all I have for today.
1: Thank you, Marshall. I yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. Bye, uh, listeners, the toll free line is available. Marshall has vacated it. The number is one eight six 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 eight seven seven two two three. 687 if you would like to call and talk to AJ. And, um, I have here it comes. AJ, I told you I would read this if it, if somebody brought it up. So, okay. <laughs> uh, Kim is in Atlanta mm-hmm. and Kim says, um, It's amazing to me that the green movement and the Mm -hmm. people behind net zero and all of this won't do what is essential, easy, and available today to rapidly achieve net zero, which would be to work with nuclear power, i.e. nuclear fission. And there are safer reactors. Just look at what happens in France. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is we're getting energy From terrestrial solar, from terrestrial wind, there have been people on the space show, guests, that have said there have been incredible improvements in technology. So now terrestrial solar and wind is incredibly economic, although I've not seen that on a wide-scale basis. Mm -hmm. And then there are the advocates for space solar power that just had a tizzy fit over NASA's space solar power report that wasn't as as positive as they would have liked it to be. And Mm -hmm. then there are the fusion people that say that they may be break-even within five to ten years, and then all bets are off for how fast they can ramp up. And now you come along with thorium. Where are we going to get our future energy from, and what is the best plan to move forward given we seem to have lots and lots of options, although maybe some of these are not really options at all. Can you comment on our energy puzzle?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> good question. Um, I would I would say that uh, as far as the terrestrial solar and, and terrestrial wind is concerned, uh, both interesting options, but they cannot be... Uh, um upscale scaled up enough for us for the world or even this country to become completely uh net zero and and all that without having to go into creating a lot of uh, um, large uh, problems creating infrastructure uh, blades like turbine blades etc and and uh, solar and all that. Um, now, you know, remember that the fusion energy that I mentioned is one million times greater, one million times greater than chemical energy from say hydrolox or methane lox or RP lox or whatever it is that, that chemical rockets use. A million times more per kilogram. This is a gift that God has, these are all three three primordial elements that we have on this world, only three, thorium, uranium, and plutonium, which were created at the beginning of Big Bang, basically. These are the ones that contain, somehow or the other, they contain an immense amount of energy in that nucleus. Take advantage of that for God's sake, you know. Take advantage of that in a controlled fashion, obviously. Um, But take advantage of that. It's a million times more, million times more than that, and three and a half million times more per unit weight of coal. So coal should be, well, you know, phased out. I hope that oil can be phased out also, and the uh, solar and uh, wind can remain uh, some uh, small portions of this, but nuclear fission, at this point in time, we have it. We have it. We have, we have it available. So we have it kind of, uh, well, we have it licked, actually. And so that that is able to provide us energy for decades to come. While we are working on fusion, at this point in time, as far as I'm concerned, Fusion has, uh, even the one that was done at the National Ignition Facility, NIF, um, was not a controlled chain reaction. And obviously, in terms of the wall plug energy, it was, you know, um, 300 or 200 times less than what came out of the wall plug. Right.
1: Um,
2: et cetera. So those things, if they are solved very good, and 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 if they're not too heavy at the same time. I mean, my, at this point in time, it looks like the weight for those things are very heavy. Thorium molten salt reactor is the lightest possible fission reactor that you can have. That's zero pressure, no pressure. All you need is just simply, and the amount of land that will require to create even, let's say, one gigawatt plant, would require the smallest. I mean, you know, you um, let me let me just go switch to uh, slide number two. Actually, um, then you will see here that the landmass required for this fission nuclear and uh, this this um, this picture here, figure here, is for nuclear in general. And actually, the thorium will be thorium molten salt reactor will require even less than what what's uh, shown here for nuclear. So it requires a small amount of area. Five hundred meter or one, you know, thousand meter by thousand meter would be the land area that will be required at the most, including safety concerns and all those kinds of things. You know, area safety areas and everything. Um, but otherwise, the actual reactor size is going to be of the order of 10 meter by 10 meter by 10 meter, and then there will be um, uh, this um, heat exchangers. It will be another 10 by 10 by 10. This is really small amount for this is for one gigawatt plant. For God's sake, you know, one gigawatt. I mean, that is so much smaller than what. Um, um, S.S. Even S.S.P. can say that they would be, they would have their their, their you know uh, rectenna itself is uh, many kilometers square, and of course they have uh, something in geo which is almost as as big, several kilometers square, and this thing would be on 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 land, easy to build, easy to do, and it's completely safe. So I see absolutely no. Um, no other well i mean the the path that i see uh, as uh, the answer to the question of the listener is that uh, we could we could do um, with uh, maybe 50% uh, thorium nuclear or something like that and 20% 30% with other nuclear at this point in time in this country i'm talking about and then um another 10 20% Uh, filled in by wind and solar um, or anything else. But, you know, wind and solar cannot do the things. But, I mean, I really would like to, you know, move the coal out, move um, maybe slowly, slowly move out the fission. All these electric vehicles that we are talking about having, that would be a good thing to do. Yes, I agree. But, the electric energy for that, where is that going to come from? If that's going to come from coal and fission-powered plants, what is the point? There is no, there is no uh, real um, advantage that we, we have gained except, you know, localized.
1: Well, what does the energy thing? take to mine the ingredients for the batteries and everything else? Where is that energy coming from? Which one? The energy needed yeah. to, to produce the... The components for an electric vehicle, the batteries, the mining of the rare earth. Oh, yeah, well, that's that's another thing, right,
2: yeah. That's another thing which I've not,
1: you
2: know, (laughs) touched or looked at, but, uh, you know, supposing, uh, yeah, that's a big, that's a big, that's a big thing also, lithium batteries or any other batteries. Um, That's a, that's a big thing. But, um, as far as the electricity is concerned, for for uh, residential use, and, of course, the heat energy, which is actually um, 30 to 40% of the energy required is industrial as heat energy to heat steel, to heat this and that and everything. And all that can be done with this heat from molten salt reactor, Uh, which cannot be done. Uh, with uh, with the power uh, PWRs because the temperature doesn't go up that much. Temperature there goes up to only 250 degrees centigrade, you know, in, in that too in the boiling water. Uh-huh. And here the temperature goes up to 700, 1,000 degrees, which can be used by all these industries too.
1: So, so um, listener Kim sent in an addendum to her email. Sure. And uh, Kim said, I'm still not getting it because you have to spend money to get the thorium and put it into the format to work. For space solar power, for example, the sun is shining for free, and all you have to do is get it onto reflectors or onto a transmission system and beam it back to Earth. It seems to me it shines 24 seven, regardless of the climate, regardless of the weather or anything, and it's free. How can you compete with anything that is free? Uh,
2: that's absolutely not correct.
1: Um,
2: that, um, first of all, thorium is very very cheap because, like I said, it is actually thrown out when you dig out the mines, some monazite mines, and the thorium that comes out is thrown back at this point in time. So it's it's very very cheap. It's uh, it'll cost thousand dollars per kilogram of thorium. Which will give you 2.2 uh, megawatt plant for for a year. Now, um, as far as as far as the sun shining and all that kind of a thing is concerned, um, yes. But you have to put up all those uh, big SS, SBSP structures up there. That's not free. Sun is free, but getting all the structures and then maintaining them. So that uh, if a meteoroid hits it or anything that that is bound to happen for something which is several kilometers, uh, square kilometer um, in area, is bound to happen. Maintaining that and all that is going to be horrendously dangerous in that radiation environment, that geo, and also um, quite, uh, you know, expensive, of course, obviously. So it is not free. What is free is, of course, the sun which is shining on Earth, terrestrially. So that I have, uh, I have a different take on that. I think that that's probably um, a reasonable, reasonable idea. That um, hey, the sun is already sending this rays, its its rays to the to Earth um, 24/7 anyway. So you can take advantage of that. That's fine. Um, but as far as the comparison with SSP is concerned, I disagree.
1: Uh, listeners, there is still time. If you would like to call and we would like to hear from you, one 687 We'll get you right into A.J. And you can continue to use email, Dr. Space, D-R-S-P-A-C-E, at the uh, Bob in Salem, Oregon
2: says have uh, you b- ever- before I answer that yeah. email, um, there are there is one uh, one and one or two slides that I I mean I wanted to go through all the slides but I obviously am not gonna do that now. Right. <laughs> but there is one slide that I do want to um, to go through with everybody. Um there's slide number ten. Okay. So possible advantages
1: all right, let's
2: go do it. Let's
1: go do it now and I'll read the email later. Yeah, okay. So, for, first of all, thorium,
2: which is uh, thorium 232, 90 atomic number, is abundant on land. It is three to four times more abundant than mined uranium, which contains only 0.7% U 235, which is the one that fissions actually, and 99.3% is the uranium 230. So, actually, the one that we can use for fission which is the thorium, which fissions, you know, which can can fission, all of it can fission, it's 500 times more abundant than uranium. So, so that ratio is huge. Then uh, thorium is fertile but not fissionable as is, so it is also not radioactive to touch. And actually I carry a thorium pellet in my pocket sometimes, and I did that with the Cosmos Club at the Cosmos Club. Uh, it, of course, goes without saying that no CO2 emissions are created when the production of this is being done. A pollution in China and in India, etc., is really shortening the healthy life of millions. And the pollution that comes from burning fossil fuel, including lots of coal, which is really a sin. Um, the TMSR will work at close to sea level atmospheric pressure, which I mentioned already. So no high pressure dome needed with associated threat of blow up on malfunction as we saw in Fukushima or Chernobyl. This is a huge positive. Conversion efficiency to fifty six percent, fifty to sixty percent, which also I mentioned. And also there is an inherent negative reactivity coefficient, temperature expansion effect on salt for fission. So if it if it becomes too hot then the Molecules will move away from each other, or the atoms will move away from each other, uh, and then um, the, the fission will slow down, and so it has a negative reactivity coefficient. It will burn 90 to 99 percent of the thorium fuel into safe and even medically useful byproducts, which is one of the slides will show that. And system that can be refueled, it can be refueled as it operates. Right now, these PWRs have to be, Shut down for <clears throat> several months, and um, um, this thing doesn't need to do that at all. It's just continuously being um, being operated. Um, Thorium is the only element that can work as a breeder reactor in thermal neutron spectrum, and it can also be designed to start using up the current, U-235 waste products. That's a big deal, also. So it can it has all these possible advantages. And there are some disadvantages, which is the next slide. So let's might as well just go to that okay. number number eleven, which is that um, it it requires material buckling, which is which means it's another way of saying that uh, since thorium uh, itself is not fissile, it will require some other <clears throat> something else to start the reaction, which is what I mentioned. The last point was that uh, we can use the current uranium-235 or plutonium-239 stockpile that we have, small amount of that, and start the reaction here. And once it keeps going, gets going with uranium-233, oh, then it will just continue on its own. So it's not a problem. Um, there is a half-life of, uh, of uh, 22 minutes and 27 days for plutonium, And you can read this uh, later on, but the half-life is means that you have to let the protectinium stand for a certain amount of time before it becomes uranium-233, and then it can start fissioning, which is not a big problem. Uh, One problem is the radiation protection. The uranium-232 is also produced uh, um, in a small amount via specific n2n reactions, neutron one neutron going and two two neutrons coming out. Reaction in which coming incoming neutron knocks out two neutrons out of the target nucleus. And then that that particular uranium 232 has a relatively short half life of 69 years, and therefore specific activity of uranium 232 is much higher than the specific activity of isotope uranium 238. And the decay chain includes uh, very penetrating gamma rays. And so the shield has to be produced. But that's also uh, a, a plus point because that, um, uh, that allows, that gives us the protection against proliferation because it's dangerous and, and, um, and it cannot be just simply, um, you know, uh, done by, say, terrorist types or something like that. Even for countries, I mean, you you may imagine this, that this is a uranium-233 dissolved in the molten salt, and it's at 600, 700, 800 degrees temperature. So it is dissolved. You cannot make a a bomb out of something that is liquid. You have to separate it. And to separate that, one, of course, you have the problem of the uranium-232 that I mentioned, and the other thing is that it's, it's very very high temperature, so even that becomes um, almost impossible to do. So as far as the proliferation concerns are are concerned, <laughs> um, it's it's also um, probably probably minimal. But I you know more knowing people need to uh, look into this than I do.
1: Um. <clears throat>
2: okay, you're sorry yeah
1: um well Bob, uh Bob was in Salem, Oregon, and uh, mm-hmm. he wanted to know if you have ever made a presentation to or talked to any power companies or utility companies, and did you get any place with them?
2: No, I have not made any um any uh, thing to power or utility companies uh yet because we have to get first we have to get an okay for uh, uh, for this to um, become mm, a sort of a workable, uh, uh, safe, workable um, possibility, even though it was done in the 60s. Now Department of Energy wants to, and, and NRC, NNRC, uh, something uh, that, NRC, of course, part of NRC, uh, which needs to keep control of, of this, um, has not given a full permission to, for people to do this, um, you know, openly or allowed people to do that openly in larger, um, uh, larger gigawatt size or large hundred megawatt size things in this country. Obviously, uh, it's different case in Denmark, different case in China and and those people, those people are going to do it, and then we're going to be left standing, twiddling our thumbs, you know. So that's that's the that's the problem at this point in time for Bob. That's our an answer to Bob. Uh,
1: listeners, listeners, we still have time. We're twenty minutes from the ninety-minute program. Eight six 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 eight seven seven two two three. And again, uh, you can uh, give us a call. That is the phone number. Uh, email, of course, Doctor Space at thespaceshow dot com. Um, Carl, Tucson, Arizona. And, mm-hmm. uh, listeners, you can use the phone rather than just sending an email, but either works. Uh, Carl says, uh, "What do you have to do to protect a thorium facility from terror attacks?"
2: Mm. Well. I think we have to probably because of the fact that, uh, we don't have high pressure domes and possibility of explosion, et cetera, that a terror attack by an airplane or something like that that has been, that has uh, been, uh, I guess demonstrated or at least tested in the past on this, you know, PWRs. That kind of a thing would be would be less problematic. Second, secondly, uh, we have to do the same thing that we do with this, um, to begin with at least, to do the same thing we do with this nuclear plant that we have right now, PWRs. We have, uh, you know, many in this country which are, which have been very safely protected, very safely protected from any terrorism or terrorist incidents uh, for last 50 years. And so I don't see anything, anything different here at all.
1: Uh, is it as, from my own knowledge, is it as much of a target of terrorism as a nuclear fission plant? Uh, and, uh,
2: well, like, like I said, no, it would not be, because it is really, um, you know, it's, it's not something that you can... Uh, take out, it's not like plutonium that you take out from, from a regular PWRs, right? And then make a bomb. Uh, plutonium in that case is in solid form, right? Right. It's in, it's in the rods. So you can take out the rods and you can take out the plutonium, etc. Here it's not like that. It's uh, 700, 800 degrees temperature molten salt. It's a liquid. And so, you, and if you if if it falls below 450, which it can very easily do, once you take it outside, it'll become it'll become solidified. You can't use it. So it just really is much safer um, than the PWRs, current PWRs, and its size is also much smaller than the current PWRs. You know. Um.
1: Kerry, Seattle, says, when you talked about thorium on one of your earlier shows, listeners said that there was a history of thorium having been used in weapons designs. It, can it be used to make a nuclear weapon? Uh, do you recall that listener's question about using thorium in an atomic or hydrogen bomb? I don't forget what it was, but obviously it could be used as a weapon.
2: Yes, uh-huh yes it was it was actually used as uh there was a uranium two thirty three bomb that was um that was uh you know exploded um obviously uranium two thirty three in that case was in solid form you know that they produced from thorium two thirty three or two thirty two or whatever else, however else they produced it, but I presume from uranium 233 But that was not a molten salt reactor produced uranium two thirty three. That was uh, solid. You have to, as you know, you know, for any nuclear bomb, they are all solid, and they are all um, they will all require. Of course, fusion bomb is different, but um, they also require. Um, to to bring um, bring the things together very fast, so the chain reaction, fast chain reaction, can occur. In that, in this case, obviously, um, uncontrolled chain reaction uh, that can occur, which did happen with the uranium two thirty three bomb, but that was solid uranium two thirty three, which was all put together to make a bomb. Now. The, the beauty about the molten salt reactor is that it is not in solid form and uranium two hundred and thirty three when it is produced it is produced in liquid form. The way it is produced is that the thorium two hundred thirty two is dissolved in this flybe um, and then imagine a the reactor with a core and then a blanket around it. That blanket containia- contains thorium uh, Flaib, um salt, of course, very hot. You know, 500, 600 degrees temperature. And then there is a core which is which is in the middle, um, and the core has uh, graphite rods in it, and of course molten salt in it. But however, the thing is that uh, the thorium, which uh, which um, you know you somehow you introduced. Another neutron into thorium, let's say from plutonium 233 waste product from that I mentioned. Um, then it becomes uranium 230. Uh, sorry, thorium 233. Then, then uh, that becomes protactinium, and then you have to separate that protactinium from thorium 232 uh, by chemical processing in line or outside, and then let the separated. Protectinium stand by itself for 27 days or month or two months for it to become uh, uranium-233 through beta decay. That is the one when it is produced, the uranium-233 which is produced this way, is never in solid form. It's always liquid. You can't make a bomb out of that. So that that also um, really is really... Quite, uh, quite interesting and safe in that way. So yes, the bomb has been built and exploded, but these molten salt reactors, um, in this case, would be molten salt dissolved uranium-233. So it's not a bomb-making um, bomb-making possibility there. You know, if that answers the question. Um, that's just
1: yeah, probably it does. I, I have another email. Mm-hmm. Listeners, I'm still pushing for you to use the telephones tonight, 866-667-7223. So um, this is Randy. Uh Randy's also in Tucson, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And he says optimistically, AJ, mm-hmm. what would be your timeline from now? To deployment of operational thorium reactors for grid power in the United States
2: uh, good question. Um, I think that that is a very good question actually my my guess my um, yeah, my estimation would be that it would take um, three to four years to uh, really prove out the, um, um, you know, the smaller parts like corrosion due to uh, high temperature of the CMC that I mentioned or, or Hasselhoi N that I mentioned to prove that out. Well, this kind of Hasselhoi was proved, proven out to some extent at that time in the late 60s. And so now if we do, this, do the same thing with CMC, we can prove it out probably within three to four years and then... Uh, create a 100 megawatt uh, or or even uh, micro-reactor size um, plant first, which is, you know, something of the order of 10 megawatt first. Uh, That can be done within a few years after that, and the operational that will go into the grid uh, would come after that. This thing is, you know, this thing is very, very attractive for micro-reactors, very attractive for... Um, SMRs, small modular reactors, and of course, very attractive for um, large 1 gigawatt or 500 megawatt or 1 gigawatt type of plant, which can feed uh, the electricity. So my guess would be, I would say, uh, 10 years, I can do it in 10 years. Uh,
1: Is this something that individuals could have to generate their own power?
2: um well yes i I guess so, yeah, because I said micro reactors, so you know if you were to do micro reactors of um, uh, you know small size um, that then you know you can keep that keep that in your um, well i guess i I would say that because of the radiation protection problem, I would probably um, sh- shy away from. Uh, uh, you know, um, suggesting that for personal use type of thing until we can solve that problem. I don't know. I do not know the answer to this to this uh, very well. But I think that I think that um, someday those problems will be solved and we can have micro reactors that can be used by on the base on on uh, on a DoD base. Um, Something of the order of few megawatt type or 10 megawatt type or something like that would be possible and can be protected using uh, containment, steel, etc., and then can be washed well. Uh, for personal use, I don't know if I would do that at this point in time.
1: Um, Linda, we're getting close to the end, listeners, so uh, I'll make another Appeal for the phones, 866-687-7223. Linda's in Salt Lake, and she said, mm-hmm. I believe part of the reason why we don't see widespread nuclear power in the United States is the fear factor every time the word nuclear is mentioned, yeah. plus the mm-hmm. nuclear power stations that have had problems and accidents, including the one in the United States, Japan, Russia, etc. Does... uh molten salt thorium reactor, if you're educated, have the same general fear factor to it? And if not, how do you educate the people that this is different and that there is no fear factor with thorium?
2: Well, in education, I mean, obviously, like I said before, this one does not have the high pressure. So if it doesn't have the high pressure, it doesn't require those domes high pressure domes and so it'll be just you know it'll just it just cannot happen so the fear factor <coughs> which is there right now is actually changing um, the the nuclear has become much more acceptable worldwide compared to say 5 years ago even you know uh-huh. things are changing a lot things are changing quite a bit and even, um, as you know, COP28 uh, also said that, uh, um, well, was 25 countries, actually, 22 at that time, but now it's 25 countries who are going to uh, promise to triple nuclear energy by 2050. It should be actually faster than that. <laughs> but uh, at least uh, they have said that, and that is obviously an indication that the fear factor is uh, much less now than before. There will be some people who will continue to shout from the rooftop, but I think it's just ridiculous to do that when we are suffering more from um, pollution, suffering more from, um, you know, the climate problem, CO2 and all those, that, all those types of things. And, of course, the energy deficit problem is going to be even you know, more severe. We need to do this right now. We need to do this as soon as possible. This is really a... This is is the solution, really. The solution at this point in time.
1: In the the eight minutes remaining, what is your path to getting the solution going?
2: Well, I think that... Uh, my path, uh, some things I cannot talk about right now, but, uh, you know, um, because they are in the offing. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, it needs to go to um, first. First, we have to make sure that the high-temperature corrosion problem or neutron um, uh, um, corrosion problem um, is that when sometimes you can live with. So something we can, uh, which is minimal, or minimized, or minimal, and actually, you know, Copenhagen Atomics and people like that say that um, they can, and it's, they think that it can, I mean, they are going up to 700 degrees centigrade, they're not going to 1,200. But even, even at that temperature, they are saying that all they will do is to swap out uh, the plant that they are, you know, uh, the SMRs that they are building after eight to ten years. You know. So, you know, I mean, all these things are quite possible. It's just something that we should not be afraid of at all. It is, um, it is actually an amazing solution. Amazing solution. Does he, and we,
1: Does our NRC have the the same kind of control over thorium that it has over?
2: The, yeah, they have nanometer. control over. Yeah, all the nuclear, including including this thorium. But thorium is waking up people, you No.
1: Know? Uh, is NASA awake to it at all?
2: <laughs> NASA would be
1: awake to it,
2: but like I said, mm. it's not the most attractive uh, solution for uh, space propulsion.
1: No, but they want to have a research or some kind of a station on the moon they, they, they want to use, have that, right? right yeah. So for, for that,
2: them. I think that this would probably be be um, be useful, and it'll be thought of when the time comes for them to need something which is in a higher um, higher uh, energy demand level. This thing, this thing, obviously, you know, um, for for NASA, uh, NASA has realized definitely one thing, which is that. Um, without fission power, there are many things that it will not be able to do, which is to travel to outer planets and other things. You cannot do that with uh, space-based solar power or anything like that. You cannot just cannot do it. It's just too weak. Um, and the same thing with moon, other problems also on the moon. So NASA is certainly awake to this fact, but they are also they are looking at different solutions for nuclear at this point in time i think that this is the right solution for earth for terrestrial for us for terrestrial use uh, it is absolutely incredible solution it's a zero uh, zero uh, this thing and i want if you want to um um uh, just show something here let me show slide number 15 and 16 and the copenhagen um. Uh, some brilliant. Uh, this is flight number sixteen, which doesn't have a slide number on it, but sixteen is called some brilliant TMSR designs. Right, I
1: see it. And, uh-huh.
2: Yeah, and you can see here on the left bottom uh, the SMRs that I was talking about. That Copenhagen Atomic has hundred megawatt SMRs lined up like that. You know. Uh-huh. And, uh And that'll you know so supply immense amount of power, you know, and their, their idea, which is above, is called Onion Reactor, and it's a little more detailed to, you know, to uh, show that, but it's just absolutely uh, absolutely amazing. And then on the right-hand side is Flybe Energy's design of this uh, two-fluid reactor that I mentioned above, and then at the bottom is the Torcon design, for, which is similar to MSRE design, and if you go back one slide, you will see here that the amount of coal that is required, uh, which is shown on the left-hand side uh, bottom, is huge per day. That's and and the amount of thorium uh, required is just minuscule compared to that. You know, and on the right-hand side you will see the coal plant compared to the uh, the actual molten salt reactor plant see how much smaller it is uh-huh. for the same 500 megawatt plant you know, size
1: um, listeners AJ is going international with his discussion although it will be a brief one with uh, Bachelor in Hotel Mars tomorrow on uh, the CBS Hotel Mars which of course has a substantial global audience with CBS Eye on the World and um he's going to be able to do this 90 minute program in 10 minutes so you might <laughs> to, you might want to check out and, and and see how well he does with conveying yeah. the, the from essence. now until then
2: i love to uh, to learn to talk you know like what they talk about very very fast very, very fast, very fast. No. Like on a
1: pharmacy <laughs> ad, and then, and then they, they tell you yeah. all the benefits and give you a jingle with fat lady singing. And, and then they, <laughs> they go off the, the side effects real fast, so you, you scoot over them real quick.
2: That's
0: so.
1: Like,
2: yeah, So I'll have to do that. So, somebody slide on slide 21 is something I would have liked to go through, but, you know, it's, it's all right now. I can, don't have to.
1: Well, we'll, have to well we can save it for the next one. Have we... Missed yeah. anything critical
2: that you wanted us to know? Uh, no, uh, I can't think of anything. Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: I think this is just. Uh, yeah, no. I think. I mean, I've mentioned, you know, uh, hundred times already that this is a fantastic solution for. Okay. For our energy and and net zero and all those kinds of things. This is the solution, as far as I'm concerned. You no. Know. Well, while other things are, you know, people can work on the other things, that's fine. Uh, but right now, if you need something within this decade, next decade, or two decades, or three decades, this is it. And this is gonna, this is gonna last for a long time, not just a couple
1: of decades. Well, but my my guess is 50 years. I'll look forward to continuing this with you on Hotel Mars tomorrow and uh, okay. until yeah. the the next time we get together on the space show and thank you very much for uh, coming back on and talking about this which I think really is critical that we need to to start R&D and pursuing some of these options instead yeah. of just terrestrial solar terrestrial wind and tell us that we can't use uh, the energy we know about anymore so yeah, yeah. Um, you know because uh, terrestrial solar and terrestrial winds not going to cut it, and I think we all know that. It's not going to cut it. No. And yet they're mm-hmm. taking away or taxing to death our existing energy, which we still need. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, AJ, okay. my friend, I appreciate it. Uh, have a okay. great week coming up, and I look forward to seeing you soon in Maryland. And
2: uh, we will. Well, yeah, I'll see you soon, but I'll probably, you know, be talking with you tomorrow again.
1: Uh, at 4 at, o'clock, at, right? No. Yeah, well, yeah, he'll send yeah. a Zoom link. But then it's all business, and Bachelor is doing most of the talking.
2: Right, yeah, Bachelor. yeah, right, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, we will be in okay. touch, and I'll talk to you later. And listeners, thank you uh, for Marshall's phone call and for all of your emails. It's the beginning of the week, so everybody have a great week. Keep it safe, healthy, as always. Keep looking up. And uh, we will be back with our next live space show program on Friday of this week and uh, make sure you want to hear it because Friday is Ian Crawford in the UK with his uh, article which is behind a paywall and copyrighted but I will post the the, uh, abstract to it on the significance of there not being any ET settlements or colonies being found or discovered and um, I do have a copy of it but I'm not allowed to share it and Sunday, Charlie Schaefer is back with us from Celesta. And then uh, everybody's love-to-hate guy, Bob Zimmerman, is back on Tuesday, February 27th. <laughs> so have a great week. As I said, keep looking up. Good night from Oh, just,
2: just one thing. Yeah. Uh, next time, I want to talk about um, <clears throat> using Falcon Heavy, a um, couple of flights of Falcon Heavy to get to the moon fast before... China does.
1: <laughs> we, we wanted to add talking to the uh, uh, talking about the moon tonight, and we didn't get to it. So I'll look at the yeah. schedule, and I'll send you some, some dates after the, the Maryland gig, maybe yeah. later in April or something, and sure. we can talk about uh, your Falcon Heavy moon plans. Yes, yeah. okay. All right, we'll talk to okay. you soon. take care. Everybody Thank you, have bye. a great week. Good night from A.J. David and The Space Show.